Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode of Living Line Outdoors. On the mic with you. It's Friday. We made it to the end of the week. Hopefully, you've got a weekend lined up for you. It's almost that time. I want to share a message with you. I put this together the other day. It, it really, um, I mean, it's 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 there's a lot of material here. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to just kind of skim through what I've got because you could take this so many different directions. Uh, there, there's so many things that could be discussed here, but I titled this black and white, which, you know, should mean that it's, hey, it's pretty simple. It's black or white, right? The definition is a clear distinction. When you look at the definition of black and white, it's a clear distinction. Obviously, it's either black or it's white. There, There is no in between. If you mix the two colors together, we know what we get. You get a gray area. But what I want to talk about is black and white. The colors black and white are opposites. They're as different as two colors can be. They are clearly defined and have a distinct difference from each other. Therefore, if something is black and white, it is clear and distinct. It will not be confused with anything else. And it is not and it is defined clearly and fits within specified parameters. If you say that there is ambiguity in something, you mean that it is unclear or confusing, or it can be understood in more than one way. But black and white means there is no ambiguity. There is no confusion. It can't be uh, described or understood more than one way, black and white. It's, a, it's as clear as black and white. They are opposites. They are completely different. This phrase comes from exactly where it seems like, from the difference between two colors. Even colorblind people can tell the difference between the two. I've been in car paint almost all my adult life coming out of the high school system. Uh, I got into painting cars. Uh, I see color really well, but a lot of guys do not. A lot of guys struggle. Uh, There's deficiencies in color. Certain colors they don't see as well. Women see color really well, usually. Uh, But even a colorblind person can see the difference between the two colors. Reason being is because a colorblind sees in, in blacks and whites. They see in, in shades. So you can tell the difference between a shade of black and a shade of white. So, it may also relate to writing and penmanship. Most pens are black, and most paper is white. Legal documents are clearly defined when they are written in black ink on white paper. Therefore, black and white also refers to legal specificity and specificity is clearly defined as that in a legal document. To spell things out in black and white is to say exactly what you think. For example, if someone says, I'm going to spell this out for you in black and white, you must be back here at 8 o'clock. That means there's no room to be late because the rule is clear. It's unconfusing. It's black and white. Some people are described as seeing things in black and white. This means that they have defined ideas and they won't be changed. No amount of arguing, arguing or reasoning will sway them. Black and white can also refer to documents. A lawyer may draft up a contract in black and white and ask multiple parties to sign before working together so that their rules and expectations are very, very clear. Of the two, of, of the utmost clarity, clearly defined or differentiated without any room or confusion, ambiguity or discrepancy. That is the definition of black and white. Of the utmost clarity... It's clearly defined or differentiated without any room for confusion, ambiguity, or discrepancy. A black and white object or situation is one of the easiest to understand what is right and what is wrong. Uh, 
When something is black and white, it means either that the answer is very clear, that there is a plain right and wrong answer, or that an individual is thinking in terms of absolutes. In summary of this, something that is black and white is clearly defined, and it's unchangeable. Let's take a look at light and dark. Generally speaking, light serves as a symbol of life, happiness, prosperity, and and in a wider sense of perfect being. As a symbol of life, light can also serve as a symbol of immortality. Darkness, on the other hand, is associated with chaos, with death, even the underworld. Simple example, I thought of how most ambulances or emergency vehicles are white or brightly colored, representing rescue, help, even life. While most hearses or funeral coaches are dark colored, even black, like death. Spiritually, we refer to light as the light of Christ and darkness as evil. Ephesians 5, chapter 7 through 13 says this, So do not participate or even associate with them in the rebelliousness of sin. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Live as those who are native-born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn by experience what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyles be examples of what is most acceptable to Him. Your behavior expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. Do not participate in the worthless and unproductive deeds of darkness, but instead expose them by exemplifying personal integrity, moral courage, and godly character. For it is disgraceful even to mention the things that such people practice in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light of God's precepts. For it is light that makes everything visible. Light defined as life. We see this in John 1.4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Those who have faith through him have will have eternal life. In John's gospel, darkness is present in the absence of light, the absence of eternal life, and darkness referring to death spiritually. Spiritual darkness is the state of a person who is living apart from God. The Apostle John taught that God is light. This is the message we heard from Jesus now and declare to you, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 5-6 through 6 in the NLT. In John 8, verse 12, it says, And Jesus declared that he is the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this thinking, spiritual darkness means not having fellowship with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The darkness of separation from God is overcome through Christ. Or John 4, 1, 4-5 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Living in rebellion to God and His will is equivalent to living in spiritual darkness. When the Lord commissioned Paul, Paul said this, he said, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. It's Acts chapter 26, 17, and, and 18. After salvation, believers become beacons of the spiritual light of Christ. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Those who are in Christ Jesus have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. 
And in Jude 1.4, those who reject Jesus Christ face eternal separation from God in blackest darkness. Right and left. This is another definition of uh, opposites. Pretty self-explanatory. Left and right are completely opposites in direction, right? I mean, we understand that. How about up and down? It's kind of the same way with up and down. It's complete opposites. We, we get that. East and west. Now, this one seems obvious as well as an opposite, but this has a significance. Because had God used north to south that can be actually measured, if you take off walking north after you nearly freeze to death, you'll eventually be walking south. You get that, right? But the phrase, as far as the east is from the west, is meant to communicate an infinite space. When 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 Jesus said that, that our sin will be cast away as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought against us again, it's talking about it, there's no way it's coming back. It can't. I mean, if you start off walking east, you'll be walking east the rest of your life until you turn around. It never goes. It's it's it's, it's eternity. The New Testament details the sacrifice of Christ and points to it as the basis of our freedom from guilt. In Romans 8, 1, it says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The fact that there's no condemnation means that those who are in Christ will never have to answer for their sins because Christ has paid the debt already. How far has the Lord taken our sins from us? Farther than the distance from east to west. Psalms 103, verse 12. I have said all of this to simply make this statement. The Word of God is black and white, meaning it's absolute. God's Word lays out the very plain detail how we are to live our life and explains in great detail what are what we are to abstain from or come out of once surrendered to Jesus. You can argue and excuse all you want to concerning what is plainly laid out as sin, but there will be a price to pay. Do not add or take away from. In Deuteronomy 4.2, the Israelites are given a warning do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God and I that I give you. This warning not to add or take away from the commandments of the Lord is specifically given to the Israelites after their wilderness wandering. This command was Moses telling the Israelites not to add or take away from the Bible. Does it apply to us today? The Israelites were instructed to remember that God had done what God had done and to carefully obey his decrees and laws. These included the Ten Commandments as well as other laws that God had given them to observe as they entered the Promised Land, Deuteronomy 4.14. By carefully following God's righteous decrees and laws, the people would be a light to the nations, Deuteronomy 4, 6, and 7. The warning to Israel not to add or take away from God's commands was needed. Human nature is such that we try to improve on what God has said, as if His perfect word needs editing. One of Jesus' rebukes of the Pharisees and experts in the law of his day concerned their failure to heed Moses' instructions. Jesus told them in Mark 7, 13, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Their improvement to God's word involved taking away from his commands. You nullify by adding his commands to your tradition. The warning in Deuteronomy 4, 2 specifically applies to law given to the Israelites, but does it apply to the entire Bible? When Moses gave the instructions, Genesis through Deuteronomy were the entire Bible. That's all the revelation God had given up to that point. So you need to understand this. <laughs> I mean, I want you to really catch this. Does this apply to us today? What Moses gave the instructions, 
Genesis through Deuteronomy were the entire Bible. That's the that's all the revelation got to give to that point. So so yes, Moses was speaking of the entire Bible available at that time. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Later, God gave further revelation, and there are other passages that reflect the same message. Revelations chapter 22, verse 18 through 19, for example, contains a similar warning. It says, I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 through 6 warns that the person who adds to God's word will be rebuked and proved a liar. With these repeated messages, God sets his word apart as holy. The warning not to add to or to take away from God's command applies from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible. The, the Bible is God's word to us in 2 Timothy 3.16. It contains information about who God is and what he's done, and it directs us in godly living from Psalms 119.105. Since God's value values his word and name above all else, Psalms 138.2, we are not to distort it in any way. We must not add to or take away from it. We must hold tradition or man's opinions equal to it. We must not hold tradition or man's opinions equal to it. We must not add to or remove words from passages to fit our own interpretation. In other words, we need to use the entire context of the scripture, not just a piece of it. We must not falsify, alter, or intentionally miscommunicate what is in it. We must obey God's word and let it dwell in us richly. Colossians 3.16 allowing it to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness, and discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 through 17 and Hebrews 4.12 talk about that. The command to the Israelites to not add to or take away from the Bible still applies to us today and for eternity. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Psalms 119.89 What a loving and caring God we have that gave us his word and commands us to lead an abundant life and godliness. John 10, 10, 2 Peter 1, 3. May we be diligent to observe and obey his word in Deuteronomy 4, 6, and to handle the Bible with care and with reverence. By doing so, we can accurately reflect God's words and character to a world that so desperately needs him. Black and white. It is that simple and it is that absolute. And yes, it applies to us today. All of that message to talk about the absolute, God's word. We live in a culture that that tells us in humanism that, oh, it's okay. You do you and I'll do me. Whatever's good for you. It might not be good for me, but but that's okay because I'll do me and that's good for me. It might not be good for you. And that's that's absolute a lie from hell. The, the 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 selfishness, the self-drivenness, the entitlement culture that we have today, this humanistic culture that we have today of just just be you, live to your life. You know, you you bring your own joy, you do your own thing, whatever makes you happy, you just do it. As long as it makes you happy, you you be good doing it. That's that's a lie from the pit of hell. Our our whole creation, God created us to live, and He gave us the rules as life grew. You understand that? When Moses was talking to him, it was Genesis through Deuteronomy because that's where they were in, in this creative life. Now look at where we are. We have the book from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It all applies. 
There's not a situation that you'll go through in your life today that's not talked about in this book. There, there's not a, 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 a sin or a promise that you'll encounter today that's not in that book. It's there. It hasn't changed. God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is forever one, and he is forever the same. It's not, he's not going to change because culture changed. He's not going to shift because culture has shifted. He's a standard. He's an absolute. The Word of God is black and white. You can't take, take it away from it, and you can't add to it. You have to look at it in its complete context, and it applies to our life today. What are you doing with it today? Are we somehow excusing away parts of our life? It's a dangerous place to be, living according to God's Word. Don't water it down. Don't adulterate it. I learned that. One of the things that God spoke to me when I went into the Juvenile Detention Center chaplaincy was these kids need the truth. It's up to them whether they accept it or not. You just give them the truth. Let them sort it out. Give it to them straight up. Give it to them unadulterated. And give it to them in full context. Let them sort it out for themselves. And that's exactly what I did. And I've seen lives change through all of that. I've seen the evidence of the power of God, of His Word, that changes the life of even someone who's locked up, even someone who's committed crime. It changed my life. I wasn't part of that lifestyle. I didn't have any reason to ever be locked up. But He changed my life as well by adhering to His Word, living according to God's Word. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I fail? Miserably at times. But that's what His grace is about. When we come before Him, laying our life bare and open before Him, being honest with ourselves as we're honest with Him, He gives us grace. And He gives us strength to where we don't fail in that same place again. We're able to shore up our weaknesses. And the enemy's got to find a new way to attack us. He will. And he, and he won't. And he, <laughs> the fight is on to the end. But those who endure to the end, they shall have a place in eternity. Amen. God bless you guys. Everything is black and white. The Word of God is an absolute. Live by it. Get in His Word. Read His Word and allow Him to, to, to breathe into you fresh life. Absolute truth. Amen. God bless you. Ron and I love you. We thank you for your support. We thank you for your prayers. We thank you for walking with us on this journey. May God bless you as you head off into this weekend. I pray you find yourself in a fire-breathing house of God that the Spirit is pouring out in that changes you forever. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.